we're coming to the end of 1 Peter. And throughout the book of 1 Peter, again, he's been talking about suffering. And the overarching theme of it is, look, if you live your life the way that the scripture calls us to live our lives, if you follow Jesus, then what that's gonna guarantee in your life is not health, doesn't guarantee wealth, but what it guarantees, the scripture says over and over again, is suffering. And if you, if you actually force me to pick a verse that sums up 1 Peter, but is outside of 1 Peter, I would choose the words of Jesus in John 16, 33. Jesus is speaking here and he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, for in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that a good verse? Jesus says, hey, look, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but don't lose heart because I've overcome the world. That's the thesis of First Peter. Now, I want you to imagine, though, for a second. Imagine what it would have been like for those first century Christians in that church that were hearing this letter read to them. The pastor didn't preach it verse by verse, but he read the letter to them and imagine what that would have been like to hear all this at one time. You're, you're a first century Christian, you're hanging out, you're, you're living your life and all of a sudden the pastor stands up one day and says, hey everybody, guess what? I got a letter and it's from the apostle Peter. And everybody's like, Everybody says, are you serious? We got a letter from one of Jesus' disciples? The pastor says, yes, we did. Next week, you need to be here because I'm gonna read it. <clears throat> so everybody's pumped. They're gonna hear from the apostle Peter. And so the next Sunday, the place is packed. Everybody shows up. The pastor stands up. He gets up in front of the people. He opens the letter. He begins to read the entire letter. And at the end of the letter, he gets done, the pastor looks up, and the place is dead quiet. Nobody's clapping, nobody's cheering, they're just sitting there with a stunned look on their face because what they just heard from one of Jesus' close disciples, the apostle Peter, is that suffering and persecution and tribulation is coming their way. And guess what? Peter was right. Did you know that? Shortly thereafter, under the reign of Nero, those Christians that heard those words would experience some of the worst violence and oppression and suffering that any group of people, some of the worst suffering that any group of people would ever experience in the history of the world. Everything Peter said came true. And so let me ask you this. What do you think those people were feeling that day? when that pastor stood up and he read the letter to them, that they hear that suffering and persecution and violence and oppression is coming into their lives, what do you think in that moment they were feeling? I have to believe they were probably feel, feeling a little bit of a mixture of fear, maybe a little worry, and most definitely some anxiety. Y'all with me? It's hitting them that my dreams of a quiet life to raise my children and enjoy my grandchildren are quite possibly over. And I imagine in that moment, even, a little, even all of them were experiencing some level of anxiety. Now, I'm convinced that Peter knew that they were gonna feel that. I'm convinced that Peter knew that this kind of news that 
Christianity guarantees suffering would produce in them some anxiety and some worry. Because after all that talk of suffering and persecution, Peter says this, and let's look at it together. 1 Peter 5, 6. Verse 6, he says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I want you to notice here what Peter does not say. What Peter doesn't say is, hey, if you have anxieties, cast them on the Lord. What does he say? He says, cast all your anxieties on God. Peter's writing these people and he's absolutely assuming that they were gonna be dealing with fear and anxiety. Now I'm guessing that some of y'all, we've been preaching through 1 Peter for about a year. I'm guessing that some of you, as we've looked through this, because you believe the word of God, and over and over again, he promises us suffering and persecution because of our faith. I have to believe that some of you here may have been feeling a little bit of anxiety too. Maybe you're thinking in the back of your mind, man, this country, it's getting pretty hostile to Christianity. Maybe you're wondering, wow, what if there's another Nero around our corner of history? Right? The natural tendency of our hearts is toward anxiety when we look at the culture that we live in. And on top of that, there's a certain level of anxiety that we feel, not because you know, we read in the Bible that we're gonna experience persecution, but there's just a certain level of anxiety that we feel just because we're human beings that live in a world together. Some of you may be dealing with marriage issues and, and you're, you're dealing with anxiety because deep down inside, you don't know if your marriage is ever gonna get better. Some of you are raising children and you're worried about whether or not they're gonna make it into college. Afraid they might live in a van down by the river, right? And, and if they do make it into college, you're worried about whether or not you can pay for it. Which by the way, is my personal anxiety, which I will talk about later. <laughs> Some of you guys are facing retirement and you're, you're looking at the, you know, the 401k and all that stuff and you're worried about whether or not you're gonna have enough money to make it for the rest of your life. Some of you are widows, you're widowers. You're anxious because for the first time you're facing life without your spouse. Some of you are anxious because you're face, facing health issues. And again, a lot of us are anxious because you're looking at our country like, man, this thing is going to shield in a handbasket. And I'm wondering what it's gonna look like for my children and grandchildren to raise up in this dumpster fire of a culture. Anxiety is an issue that at one point or another all of us deal with. And this week, actually, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna look up statistics on anxiety and depression and just see actually what the data shows. And I was right. Between 1988, it's a study done by Harvard University. In 1988, from 1988 to 1994, so from 88 to 94, the use of anxiety medication rose 400%. Between 2005 and 2008, it rose another 400%, the writing of prescriptions and then in 2020 alone, the number of prescriptions for anti-anxiety and anti-depression medications rose 40% in one year. And so we are, make no mistake, we're an anxious people. And that's not a good thing. The scripture talks about, not the scripture, but we know just from studies that have been done that there are physical implications to our anxiety. There's all 
sorts of data that shows it's bad for us physically if we struggle with anxiety. And on top of that, there's spiritual implications for walking around in anxiety. There's, the scripture tells us and points to the fact over and over again that the biblical calling on our lives is not to be overcome by anxiety. By the way, I don't think the feeling of anxiety is a sin uh, because we, we see Jesus dealing with it. I think what you do with it after it comes was whether or not you fall into sin. And so I think a lot of us are dealing with that, but the scripture points us not to be mastered to it. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Second Thessalonians three sixteen. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Then in Philippians 4, 6, Apostle Paul makes a really clear statement. Do not be anxious about anything. How y'all doing with that one? I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, sometimes I come across a sermon and I'm writing it there on a Wednesday morning or whatever, and I'm like, man, I'm not doing very well in this. I gotta stand up and preach about this, but I give myself an F. I'm not doing a great job at living this out. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. And as I type those words, I'm like, my heart is troubled about a lot of stuff right now. Apostle Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. And I'm typing the word anything. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm anxious about everything. That's the beauty of this text today. Is the word of God is teaching us how to deal with and then overcome anxiety in our lives. And so with the rest of our time today, what we're gonna do is Peter's gonna show us three things in that text. There's three things you can do today. Three things we're called to do to help us overcome anxiety in our lives. Let's read it, 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he might exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now there's three things Peter just said we gotta do to overcome, fight anxiety in our lives. Number one, gotta humble ourselves before God. I'll explain why in just a second. Number two, gotta have a proper view of God. And then number three, you completely release your concerns to God. Those are the three things you gotta do to overcome anxiety in your life. All three of them, by the way because I've been trying it all week long. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 6. Look at the first one. Peter says, humble yourself, therefore into the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you. So again, he's teaching us how to overcome anxiety, and the first thing he says to do is to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Now, how in the world does that matter? Why in the world does that matter? Why, why is Peter saying that if you want to overcome anxiety, the first thing you got to do is humble yourself? That doesn't make much sense. But here's what's going on, and I want you to listen to me really carefully here. Don't miss this. What Peter's doing there in that first verse is he's revealing to us the root cause of anxiety in your life. He's revealing to you the root cause. In other words, what's going on in your heart that, that causes anxiety to come out of your life and into your mind and into your life. And I think the reason, the first thing he tells us to do in fighting anxiety is to humble ourselves, listen, 
It's because he's showing us that the root cause of anxiety is pride. The root cause of anxiety is pride. Why is pride the root cause of anxiety? Because if you're worried, if you're anxious, if you're staying up late at night because you're worried about stuff, that doesn't feel like pride, does it? That feels lowly. But I want you to think for a second, why are you worried? Think for a second about why you're worried about stuff. Why are you feeling anxious about stuff? And here's the answer. Because there's some situation in your life. There's some situation in your life and you're afraid that things aren't gonna turn out the way that you think are the best way for them to turn out. That's pride. Anxiety is the proof that deep down inside, you think you know what's best for your life. And you're afraid because you think deep down inside that God's gonna get it wrong. When you do that, when you're dealing with anxiety, deep down inside, you're like, I know what's best for my life. I think I know what's best for this to turn out and I'm afraid God's gonna get it wrong. And when you do that, you are taking the place of God and your life. And that's why the first thing Peter says is you gotta humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Listen to this. Listen to why Jesus said we shouldn't be anxious. It's in Matthew chapter six, verse 31. Don't turn there, just watch because we're gonna be back into 1 Peter 5 here in a second. But Matthew 6, 31, Jesus is speaking about why we shouldn't be anxious. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So why did Jesus just say, hey, do not be anxious? He says, here's why. Because your heavenly Father knows. And some of y'all need to let those words sink deep down in your heart. Your heavenly Father knows. He knows. He knows everything you need. If you're anxious and you're fearful and you're worried today, it's because you compl- you've forgotten that you have a heavenly father that is all-knowing he, and he's all-powerful and he's omniscient and he knows everything you need in your life. That's why Peter says step one to fighting this thing called anxiety is you need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because pride says I know what's best for my life and it, if it doesn't turn out that way, I'm gonna freak out. Humility says, God, I believe that you know what's best for my life. And so no matter what happens, I'm gonna trust you. That's the difference. I think one of the most beautiful pictures of this in the whole Bible is the Garden of Gethsemane. I think we can make a pretty strong argument theologically that Jesus was at least wrestling with anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane. Y'all with me? He's on his hands and his knees. He's imploring the the disciples to pray for him, he is sweating drops of blood. And so why do you think Jesus was fighting anxiety in that moment? It's because he was facing the reality of the cross. In just a short amount of time, he's gonna be mercilessly tortured. He, he in that moment, is, is facing his own death. And the worst part of all is that he's about to become our sin on the cross. And he was struggling and wrestling with that so profoundly, he cries out, God, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
He's saying, God, is there any other way? But in just a few short moments, what did he pray? He said, God, it's not my will, but your will be done. That means, God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want because I know what you want is always best for my life. And if you look at that, after he prayed that prayer, Jesus stood up and he willingly walked to the cross and he never wavered again. Why? Because he believed that God is God and God is sovereign and he's own powerful and he submitted himself to that and said, God, I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. That's a beautiful picture of what Peter's calling us to do today. It's a beautiful picture of it. Step one is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. When something comes in our life, step one, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's believing that he's God, I'm not. It's believing that God has a trillion data points that we don't have. It's believing he's the alpha and the omega. He sees from the beginning to the end. And so we say, God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want, okay? Now, that's really easy to say amen to until you get the call that you have stage four cancer, right? Y'all with me? God, I want your will. You have stage four cancer. That's a little harder to get to the place where you actually humble yourself and say, God, I'm not gonna be anxious because I believe that you know what's best for my life. Okay? So how do we get to the place that when the really bad stuff, when the worst case scenarios come in our life, how do we get to the place where we're actually able to do that? Like Jesus said, I don't want my will. I want your will be done because God's will meant he walked to the cross. How do we get to that place? Well, the answer's found in, in Peter's second key to overcoming anxiety. Here's number two. We need to have a proper view of God. We need to have a proud, number one, you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And number two, when you do that, and in order to be able to do that, you have to have a proper view of God. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Okay, something goes wrong in your life. Get the call that you have cancer, whatever it is. Anxiety immediately sets in. The reason right then it's so difficult to say, God, you're God, I'm not, so no matter what happens, I trust you, is a lot of times because we have a wrong view of God. We have a really small, narrow view of God. And Peter's teaching us how to overcome anxiety. And one of the things he does in this text is he talks about two different characteristics of the nature of God. I think he does that intentionally. First Peter 5, 6, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, Peter says, if you are gonna overcome anxiety in your life, if you're gonna get to the place where you say, God, I don't want what I want, I want you want, you have to have Two things about God that you know for sure. You understand that he is mighty and he cares for you. You gotta understand that he is powerful and he is loving. 
You gotta understand and believe that, the, that he's the transcendent, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe, and at the same time, he's our compassionate, tender, merciful Father. If you're ever gonna get to the place where you trust God desires for your life more than you trust your desires for your life, you have to believe both of those realities. Problem is, a lot of us, is we believe one of those realities, but we don't really believe the other. Or we remember one of his, those realities about his character and we forget the other reality. And when we do that, that has profound implications. Some of you are anxious today about stuff because you've forgotten that God is mighty. That when you think about God, you're like, he loves me, he cares for me. That's not your problem. You forgot that he is the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. That everything lives and moves according to his word. You, you think we live in this world that there are things outside of God's control. Well, of course you're anxious if that's what you believe. I would flip out if I did not believe in the sovereignty of God. I wanna read to you just a couple. I, I, I thought about just doing a whole sermon on this next part but I'm just gonna read you some verses and if you struggle with it, you can struggle with the word I picked too. Lamentations 3, 37. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain? Proverbs 16, 33. The lot it's cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. It's a crazy verse. Lots were like dice. They'd roll them back in the day to try to figure stuff out because they believed in random chance. And so kind of like a, a, a you know, thing of dice, when you roll them, of course, I know Southern Baptists don't do that, but you've seen pictures or whatever. So, you know, when you see Methodists rolling the dice <laughs> and <clears throat> that you believe it's just random chance, of where it falls, but what this verse is saying is even the most minute, seemingly random details and things are a decision of the Lord. And some of you have forgotten that, that he's mighty. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. You have this view of God that God loves you, but is, he's sitting in heaven with his hands tied. He's like, oh, I love him so much, and this bad stuff is happening, and I'm, I'm helpless to do anything about it. It's an unbiblical view of God. A lot of you are not anxious because you've forgotten his, he's mighty. You're anxious because you've forgotten he's good and he cares for you. If, if I lean one way and I, when I forget stuff, this, this is the one I forget. Like theologically, I know he loves me and cares for me, but practically I forget it sometimes. He'll say something bad happens to you again. You get the call, you have cancer and you know he's powerful enough to stop it. That's not your problem. You know he's powerful enough to stop it, but in his sovereign wisdom, for whatever reason, he doesn't. And what often happens, a lot of people, they think right then and there, well, I know he's powerful enough to stop it. He didn't, therefore, God must not care for me. I cannot tell you how many times over the years in ministry, hundreds, I've, I've seen people walk through that. God, why did you let this happen to me? If you're so good, why didn't you stop it? 
See, what's going on here is you got people that believe he's powerful, but they've forgotten that he's good. You believe he's mighty, but deep down inside, you don't believe that he's working his sovereign will in every way for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You gotta believe both. To fight anxiety, you gotta believe both. He is God. And he's good. I think the best picture in the Bible that I've seen of this, of somebody actually living this picture out is in Daniel 3. Love that story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar has said, hey, if you don't, if you don't bow down and worship this idol that I've made, you're in trouble. So he makes this golden idol thing and makes a decree that whenever the music starts playing, whatever you're doing, you gotta bow down and worship him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't do it because they only worship the Lord our God. And so when the music started playing, they refused to do it. Somebody turned them in, brought them before the king. Watch what happened. Daniel 3, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I would say most of us in that moment are probably dealing with a little anxiety. <laughs> I would be. We're faced with a choice, worshiping a false God or not worshiping a false God and getting burned alive. That decision would give me some anxiety even if I was sure that I'd make the right one, and I would. But I want you to watch how they deal with it. I want you to watch how they were able to engage that worst case scenario without anxiety. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. You see what they did there? See what they're believing? They're believing both things about God. King Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us. That's he's mighty. But even if he doesn't, even if he chooses to let us walk through the fire, we believe he's good and that's his sovereign will. And so we are still not gonna do what's wrong. I love that. It's a beautiful picture. And church, we live in a world where worst case scenarios happens. The cancer, the call, we have cancer, those, those things come. Our beloved spouses die. Friends betray us. 
could go on and on and on. And when those worst case scenario happens, step number one is you humble yourself before the Lord saying, God, I believe that you know what's best for my life. So it's not my will, but it's your will be done. And then step two is you, you have to remind yourself, you have to give yourself a proper view of God that God, you are mighty, you are sovereign, you are all powerful, you are in control of everything. But you're good. You're good, you care for me, you love me, I am your son, I am your daughter, and so no matter what happens, I trust you. But then there's one final step. There's one final step to overcoming anxiety in our lives. And by the way, this is the one I'm the worst at. I got no problems reminding myself that he's God and he can do whatever he wants. That's not really my issue. I used to struggle a lot more deeply in my life about the views of God. I'm at a place where I believe he loves me and I believe he's God. This next one's my hardest thing. Let's read it. The last one. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he might exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so here's the third step. Here's the third step. The first one is this. Number one, humble yourself before God. Number two, have a proper view of God. And number three, release your concerns to God. And understand what I mean by that. You gotta look at that word casting. Peter says, cast all your cares on him. That is a word that means to completely and totally let go of it and walk away. How y'all doing with that one? Means just to let go. Step one, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Number two, have a proper view of God to the place that we trust in no matter what. And then what we do is we just let go of our anxieties. We put them on the Lord and we walk away, right? Now, uh, again, that's a lot easier said than done, amen? All right, and so I'm gonna go to my visual illustration that I do once a decade. And I want you to imagine here that this table represents the Lord, okay? I rock our firm foundation on which we stand. And this big massive ball of Play-Doh here represents all my anxieties. Okay, I wrote them down for you. Um, here are my anxieties. Um, I worry at times and get anxious about paying for my kids' college. I got two kids in college and they spend all my money, all right? And so I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Get anxious about it, especially when the bills are coming in. Um, my oldest son, J.D., is trying to get into medical school. He's wanted to be a doctor since he was about this tall. And, and it's not a big deal, but I, I want him to have his dreams. And so I find myself sometimes being anxious about that. My youngest son, Sammy, he's in a new school. Took him out of the, a group of guys that he was really close with since the time he was in kindergarten and they were all Christian young men. And so I worry, is he gonna find friends that walk with the Lord that can help him through this, this really difficult time? My fourth anxiety that I hold on to is my daughter is dating a boy from Minnesota and I don't want my daughter to marry a Yankee. And I, I struggle with that. Okay, good 
I'm a new pastor at a church. Uh, no anxiety with that. I just thought I'd mention that. No. And you know, man, I, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. I'm, my best friend in the world lost his mother, his grandmother, and his mother-in-law just had a stroke all in about the last three weeks, dealing with all kinds of stuff. And I carry that stuff around like baggage. And it's heavy and it weighs on me and it's always with me. Y'all with me on that? I'm supposed to humble myself before the Lord. God, I believe that you know better than me about how my life should turn out. And so if JD doesn't make it into medical school, I trust you. If I can't pay for college, I trust you. If my daughter marries a Yankee, I, I, I trust you. <laughs> People at Sagemont never accept me, I trust you. Because God, I know that you know what's best for my life. Number two, I have a proper view of God. God, I believe you're God, you are all powerful and you care for me. So no matter what happens, I trust you. And then after those two things occur in my life, then I have the power to live out that third one, which is I cast all my cares on him. I let it go and I walk away. But what do we often do? Here's what we do. We're carrying these bad boys around. We're like, man, that's heavy. And then we go to church. The pastor's preaching on casting all of our anxieties on him, which means to completely let it go. All right, I'm gonna do this. Here we go. And we just keep two hands on them. And we're sort of letting them go. But we're still kind of holding on to them. And the Holy Spirit convicts them. That's not what the scripture says. You got to let them go. You got to cast them completely on God. So you're walking around and you're like, all right, this time I'm going to do it. Here we go. Here we go. But you still keep one hand on them. All right. That's not what the scripture says. Holy Spirit, you got to let them go. So you're like, all right. Right. You get real convicted. I'm gonna do it this time. I'm gonna let them go. God, I'm gonna cast them on you. You're God, you're good, you're sovereign. I trust you. So I'm gonna let them go. And you let those bad boys go and you go. <laughs> right? You carry them around with you in your pocket, a little piece of them. But this is the biblical picture. I trust you, Lord. You're good. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. So I'm going to put them on you. And I'm going to walk away. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to tell you something. I thought, well, if I'm going to preach this, I need to do it. And I've been doing it this week. And I've been shocked at the peace that God has brought me. I'm going to tell you one quick story. I'm going to be done. Shared a piece of it with you. Had cancer at 31. You want to talk about anxious. I was anxious deeply, profoundly worried and anxious. Again, wouldn't leave my wife and my kids, church. It's one of those cancers that if it spreads in the lymph nodes, it kills you. If it doesn't get in the lymph nodes, you cut it out, you're done with it, you never see it again. And there was a three-month period we didn't know. Deeply worried, more so than I've ever, ever should have been, and scared. And It was my last CAT scan where... After three months, they were gonna go back and see if the lymph nodes had decreased and it probably hadn't spread and I was gonna be fine. And so I'm in, the, I'm, in the, I'm in the cancer ward there. There's people all around me that are, that are dying and I'm reading the word of God and I'm at that place in the scripture where Jesus is hanging on the cross. 
And there's a little part of the cross that I've never really paid much attention to before. I believe it was the, a centurion cried out to Jesus, I thought you trusted God. If you trust God so much, why don't you trust him to get you off the cross? And in, in one of the clearest times in my life that I've ever heard the Holy Spirit whisper in my ear, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, in my mind, in my heart, sometimes trusting God means you have to stay on the cross. By staying on the cross, Jesus was trusting God, right? It's not my will, but your will be done. And something in my heart shifted. Went and got the CAT scan. I went straight to my office. I got on the floor, face down on the floor. And I said, God, if you want to take my life, I trust you. I said, God, I don't want to leave my wife and kids. I don't want to leave the church. But God, I believe you're good. And I trust you. And so no matter what, Lord, I just leave this to you. And I didn't realize it at the time. I hadn't taught the sermon before, but I realized later what I had done is I had humbled myself under the mighty hand of God. God, you know what's best for my life, not me. I, 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 I believed in that moment that he is God and that he's good. I'm like, God, you're powerful enough to heal me, but if you don't, Lord, I trust you. And then in doing that, something happened. I released them to God. And as God is my witness, in that moment, a peace came over me that passed all understanding, that guarded my mind and my heart in Christ Jesus. And so I wanna end today by having you do that right now. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to think about that thing in your life, that anxiety that you're carrying around like a piece of luggage. Whatever it is. Some of you may need to come to the front and bow down before the Lord to do this. I just want you to know this place is open today. We're gonna to sing here in a second, but if you need to use this altar as a physical symbol of a spiritual reality in you, it's open. That's why we built this thing. But I want you to think about that anxiety and I want you to, first and foremost, just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Say, God, I don't want what I want. As hard as it is for me to say that, I believe you have all the data, you have all the knowledge, and so God, I trust you. You know what's best. Not my will, but your, your will be done. And I want you to think about his character. He's sovereign, he's all-powerful. But he loves you. He doesn't tolerate you. He loves you. Why? You are his son or you are his daughter. And then ask God to give you the strength and the power. Say, God, I'm going to hand this thing to you today. And I'm going to walk away. No matter what, I trust you.